Hello, I'm Roger Neal, and what we're doing is we're making sound. You know, I only had to do that once with you. And welcome to the show, Roger Neal. How are you? Good. I have I have my special broadcast microphone here. Perfect. Sounds great. Excellent. Yeah, sounds great. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Hello, everybody. It's Making Sound with Jan Close, episode 80. Our last episode of the season five. It's uh, December 15th, as we, I, I believe, yes, December 15th, as we tape this. And I have the distinct pleasure and honor of having Mr. Roger Neal on the show to close us out. I said last week the, that there was going to be maybe a surprise, and it worked out. And uh, this is a very busy man, and I'm really glad that he took the time to, to speak to us here on the show. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Mr. Roger Neal. He is a composer, arranger, orchestrator, conductor, guitarist. I want to talk to you about that, because we just mentioned guitars. And yes. educator. And uh, you've definitely heard this man's music. Some of his scores include 20th Century Women, Don't Think Twice, the movie Beginners, um, on TV, Mozart in the Jungle, King of the Hill, all, all of the seasons, many seasons yep. of music there. Like, that's very cool. He's created orchestral arrangement for many recording artists as well, such as the French band Air. I want to ask you about that. Mm -hmm. And his latest project is Darby and the Dead, which is on Hulu right now so uh uh mr neil roger hey, how are so you man? i'm terrific thank you it's a it's a good day i'm excited to be here it's it's a good day when you wake up and like my last guest uh or a couple couple of episodes ago mark farner from the uh, from grand funk railroad oh wow <laughs> i had him on and then i met him he invited me to his show and we hung out it was great and uh, he said, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, you know, life is good when you're still sucking air, he said. Yeah. And, but, you know, I mean, this guy's been around, you know, he's in Grand his Funk 70s. Railroad. I mean, Grand it's, Funk, man. It's easy to forget, but at one time, like maybe 72, 73, they were the biggest band in America. They were huge. Biggest. Yeah. Huge, huge. It's, it, it is easy to forget, but yeah, I mean, that's like the serious legacy and. But it's such a pleasure to have you. Are you on? Are you on the West Coast right now? I am. I'm in. I'm in Los Angeles. So, um, yeah. But you're. Know. But you're from San Diego originally. Is that correct? San Diego. Yeah, that's my hometown. Grew up there. Um, mm -hmm. Which, um, you know, culturally is is very different from from Los Angeles. Even though it's not far away, it's really like right. two different things. You know, it's like comparing I don't know Philadelphia to New York or something of that mm -hmm. sort. You know, just like very very different. Um, and, uh, it's oddly hard to get here from there in a way, you know, San Diego is not necessarily a breeding ground for, uh, for artists and creatives. Um, it's a breeding ground for, um, for surfers and, uh, and the military <laughs> and, and high tech, you know, they did yeah, a true. wealthy city, but, uh, mm. but yeah, I'm, uh, ha I'm glad to be from there. I had a wonderful childhood and it's a good thing I left. Cool. Well, we can talk about that. I mean, the climate in San Diego, you know, I grew up in South Africa and um, when you? I yeah, I did, yeah, in Johannesburg. And uh, mm -hmm. I always thought that that climate in San Diego is the closest thing to the climate that I experienced as a as a boy. And, you know, it has that warm, dry, steady temperatures. It's always mm -hmm. the same most most of the time. And, you know, winter when it gets cold, it's like, you know, 60 degrees is like probably the coldest it ever gets yeah. and uh you know the, the the beaches are beautiful and um 
and uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful town. I have friends that live there, and um, when I when I get the chance to go or play a show there, I I always always take it. So tell me tell me about. Um, first of all, I got to quickly thank our listeners because we just passed in eighty episodes ten thousand downloads of the show. Wow. Congratulations. Something, thank you. Something that started as a way to pass the time during the pandemic has turned into a thing. So I want to thank you who are listening right now for for, for this great honor. And uh, yeah, this is our last um, final show of the of this season. So uh, but yeah, back to Mr. Roger Neal. I'm so excited you're here, man. It's like it's a real pleasure. Um, tell, tell me about leaving San Diego. There's a there's a song there somewhere. <laughs> that hasn't wow. been written um and and why and you're oh, you've been in la for how long oh boy since my late 20s early 30s i guess i left san diego went to school but yeah san diego i mean that's very that's very learned uh but you know grew up there learned music did well uh and it's just a wonderful almost idyllic place to grow up mm. uh, interestingly that you mentioned gone the the weather in um uh, in joburg because um mm. This movie, which we're going to talk about in, in a moment, Darby and the Dead, uh, actually was shot in Cape Town. Um, right. And, and Cape Town stands in, in for this in this movie, it stands in for just like any town USA in a way. But it's also like no town USA because it, it has a look that doesn't really look like any place in America. But it, it's almost like it could just be um, an invented um, place. I don't know. It's just like it's, it's a weird mixture of, of topography and uh, and faces that I have that's um, oddly familiar and unfamiliar at the same time. Hmm. Now, and, I, and I've been to Cape Town and I've been to your hometown too. And um, I haven't really enjoyed my time there. So, so mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, but you I asked about San Diego and, and mm-hmm. that's where I'm from. And I learned, you know, I, I was um, learned how to be a, a classical musician and a rock musician there. And, uh, but I was an ambitious young man and wanted to uh, go to the big city and, uh, and make a name for myself. So that, that's what happened. And you, you studied composition and 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 uh but you did you start on what was your first instrument i started musical life as a flute player yes a uh, flute player a, a flute player it's also another like how do you get there from here kind of thing uh-huh. but yeah i just i was like 10 years old nine years old and I, and I heard like one of these school assemblies where the band comes and plays you know and like someone plays the clarinet someone plays the trumpet it was like that kind of thing and, and for some reason um the flute caught my imagination and i said that's what i want to play mm. And I did. And I was kind of, to my surprise and everybody else around me, I was really good at it real quick. How old were you? Um, 10, I think. Mm. Just shy of 10, perhaps. Mm. And um, yeah, like I, truthfully, like within three or four months of picking up that instrument, my first instrument, it was clear I'd be doing this the rest of my life. So um, that was that. No, there are no other. There are no other Plan Bs, which is, I think, a great formula for some kind of success: is to have no yes. other choices, yes, uh, and develop no other skills. So I have to just do the one thing, which, which is music. You know, when when um, people, you know, talking about the the, you know, not having a second choice, no backup. You know, people would tell me this, and I wonder if this happened to you as well. You know, you get your friends and your family saying, "You want to go into music? Are you mad? You know, that's crazy. What a bad choice. What's your Plan yeah. B?" But you just said something really, really profound because that that was my answer. My answer was, no, I'm not going to have a plan B. Not right now. You know, I'm in my 20s. I'm starting out. I'm young. You know, I'm like ready to do this. And I'm not now. I'm not in my 20s anymore. But, you know, when I moved to New York, I was. And 
it, there was no plan B. I said, I'm going to go for it, you know? And I think that's probably why I did have success because I didn't, you know, try it out. Yeah. Did you have the same experience? Yeah. You know, I come from a pretty conservative family, uh, conservative um, in terms of their lifestyle choices. Uh, the other people in my family are all um, farmers, CPAs, and doctors. Um, I remember when I was in college, actually, my my uncle, uh, dear dear uncle, who was a big fan of, of me as a musician, uh, he was CP, CPA, and he pulled me aside in college and said, okay, this music stuff is all great, and we wish you the best of luck. However, maybe while you're at school, take a couple business admin courses just to be safe, mm. um, which was great advice, which I should have followed because it would have actually been <laughs> useful uh, now. But um, mm. But I didn't, you know. So, um, but it's, but it actually, it's also an, it's worthwhile advice to impart because, um, no matter what kind of career you, you chart for yourself in the arts, as much of it, if, if it, much of it is, of course, is, is your creative life, but also how do you form a career, you know, and how do you, um, how do you form a nice standard of living? Um, how, how do you, uh, you know, network how do you put together your team for your projects all that all that non-creative stuff which is super crucial mm-hmm. um that's also so important in 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 the in my kind of career and any any kind of career which is similar and it's always been the case you know you can go back to to um reading the biography of beethoven and, and it's the same thing he's a, he's a great business person he knew how to network you know he knew how to get the right people around him it's part of that part of this formula can you can you speak to like a mentor that you had or did you come to these how did you make those decisions early on like what what were your what kind of choices did you make about people that you were working with and you know when was your first when did you start friending lawyers entertainment lawyers <laughs> um mentors yes i mean boy i've had some wonderful mentors and i also um as you mentioned in our opening i also am a teacher and a lecturer and i love doing that because because for one main reason is i feel like i owe it to all those wonderful people who who taught me and i think that's a really such a strong tradition in music specifically of of teaching you know you you get to a certain level of skill and you, you you know you realize that you're not inventing anything you're just simply kind of like standing on the shoulder of the giants before you and if you get to a certain level uh, i feel like there's an uh an obligation a a wonderful obligation to impart that and and, and to keep you know helping other people along the way in the same way that, that you have been helped that i have been helped now in my case i've had so many wonderful ones mentors but one i will i will um cite specifically to your question is uh when i my first professional job working as a film composer tv composer in this case was for a very famous TV composer named Mike Post. And Mike was the pretty much the king of TV music in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. He's still around today, still working. Uh, he he met me, offered me a job, took me under his wing, and gave me my first professional work as uh, in, in TV scoring. And um, he's an interesting composer, but I felt like I kind of learned everything I was going to learn from him compositionally in about three months. But he's an excellent business person and an excellent um Hmm. personality, if you will, like he just has a way of just sort of selling himself and selling music and selling the excitement of it in a way, which is, um, was really, uh, eye-opening for me. And, and I, I use his examples a lot. So in many ways, I think Mike Post, he's one that maybe stands out as 
as my most important mentor because he combined the ability to write really wonderful music and to put together and like make a career for himself and and to keep it fun and to get right and, and exciting and, and keep people around him that were going to help him out. It's just um, that's that's been a valuable model for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is it's so important. I have the uh, someone like that. David Gooding is his name. He's a actually he's an Emmy Award winning composer. He's still around as well. He's in Cleveland. I was an exchange mm-hmm. student in Cleveland, Ohio. Ah. Um, I say they sent me there for punishment as a joke. <laughs> but you, you can't do that joke in Cleveland. So I love you, Cleveland. I love you. Just joking. Just kidding. Uh, but no, I had a great time there. I mean, it, it has a very, Cleveland does have a very rich music scene. And of course, the term rock and roll was was coined there. Right. Uh, by uh, the late Alan Freed. And ironically, my first landlord in New York, his name was Alan Freed, not the Alan Freed, but ha. weird, <laughs> weird. Uh, good, good for the book that I'm going to write one day. But yeah, mm-hmm. David Gooding was, uh, um, is an Emmy-winning um, composer and organist and um, voice, to, voice, voice coach. Which I also coach uh, singers. I work with mm-hmm. singers. I produce singers, and uh, I love it. You know, it's it's uh, something that's relatively new in my life, but I love doing it. And David was one of those mentors. You know, early on that where I also saw someone that had a life and a, and a relationship and a, um, a, a you know, a, a, a savvy business sense. And you could see that it was, it was possible to have, um, to have success in music and not just with music. You know, you have to have all of these other uh, pieces of the puzzle to make it work. And yeah. I keep, I talk to my, uh, you know, the singers that I work with and the artists that I produce it's the same thing I say. I tell them that that is a small, a small part, a very small part of success is the actual music and the actual performing and the actual singing and writing and, you know, what what you're, the the art that that you're creating. But everything else that goes around it is just as important, if not more. Did you have someone um, that that gave you permission? I call it giving you permission, you know, early on when you're starting out that someone says, yeah, pursue this, try this out, give it a, give it a go. <laughs> uh, wow. I think. Hmm. Uh, I think you I don't was get silence kind of, often. This is uh, no, because <laughs> the, the answer kind of involves me admitting my own uh, hubris and arrogance. I think I just was going to go on the. On oh, the I'm 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 into it, man. This is an so, it's an open forum over here. I was just going to go. Um, I'll tell you one story though that just comes kind of comes to mind. So before I started working professionally, I was in graduate school. I got I stayed in college for like seems like a lifetime um, with some graduate degrees. And uh, which part and, of the country? Uh, Harvard for graduate school, USC for my undergraduate. And when I was at Harvard, boy, so many bad stories start out with when I was at Harvard. <laughs> and this is what I'm when I was at Harvard, we had uh, a guest guest uh, composer was the famous um, uh, composer and music philosopher John Cage, mm. you know, one of the great thinkers of music in the mid 20th mm. century, and known for a very ascetic, you know, approach to his art form. Um, and I was very intimidated by him. And I remember mm-hmm. finally having a chance to talk with him, meet with him. And he was telling me this most extraordinary thing, which I was just asking him about um, his day-to-day life. Life, And he said something to the effect of, it's really important to have a nice, comfortable life. 
And he explained he had an apartment in New York City, which he shared with his partner. And it was a really nice apartment overlooking the, the park and that, you know, he makes a good living doing this and that. And to me, it was just like so unexpected, you know, to, to have an artist of that magnitude tell me about how important it is to have a nice, comfortable lifestyle. And and maybe that might be one of one example of, of your question. Like that's someone who gave me permission to to um, be more than just a pure artist, to be an you know artist entrepreneur, if you will, which I think is what I am now. Mm-hmm. Fascinating, yeah. That you know, David um, Gooding. I'm going back to David Gooding. He, um, uh, his partner, uh, Will, uh, uh, is also Will Jean. He's also a, uh, an artist. You know, and so for me, seeing, you know, a a, uh, a gay couple and a two artists living together successfully and happy and working yeah. and uh, creating, you know, living a th- that kind of a life, I I thought I didn't know anyone else that did that. Yeah. You know, at that time, I mean, this is twenty over twenty years ago. You know, when I first started working with David. Um, so well, did you have, I'm sure I'm sure I'm, I'm curious, Jan. Did you have the same issue as me from from Joburg? Do, are there were there role models for you in San Diego? There were not. I had to leave to find people who were doing something that I wanted to do. Well, I mean, I was uh, we left uh, South Africa when I was 11. You know, ah. so it wasn't. It's not like I had that choice. Like my father's contract with BASF, he was working for BASF, uh, ended, and um, you know we had to we moved to to Germany. My my uh, my parents' marriage had ended as well. My grandparents mm. were raising us, you know, so my brother and I. So we we moved back to Hamburg with them and uh, lived with them. So I didn't really have that kind of a, it wasn't, you know, a, a personal choice. Um, uh, but I did have my favorite fourth grade teacher, Traute Riester, who, <laughs> who was amazing. And she kind of, you know, treated me a little bit differently than the other kids. I mean, maybe she... Maybe even then she saw something a little bit different in me that I wasn't like your average, you know, Joe, if you will. Um, and she was probably the first. And funny enough, because of her, I reconnected with South Africa several years ago when I, oh. you know, uh, was interviewed by the Sunday Times and she's read the article. So it's funny how energy energy attracts, you know. I talk about this a lot with people. Um, and... It, it's kind of it it plays into a little bit of, of of what you were what you were saying about John Cage. You know, you were sort of in awe by this by this person. and uh, but you were still you you found a way to to connect with him. You know, you found a way to to speak to him and and um I think that's it's really important. You know, I had that moment with I had a very brief moment with Paul Simon, you know, who's my yeah. favorite American composer um at a party at a at a premiere, but it was a cast. Uh, party so cast and producers so there weren't any outside people there so uh, he he happened to be there and you know I didn't really get to talk to him much but you know it was a moment of okay I'm I'm, I'm okay like I'm I'm in the same room with this guy you know like oh, Isn't things that cool maybe you, things aren't so bad you know <laughs> when you realize that when you're in like the same room as um, a legend uh, like mm-hmm. that and you and also when you realize I have the right to be here um, I you know yes Neither you That's nor right. I are Paul Simon, but you know, but we are, you know, professional artists. No, we're Roger Neal and Jan Close. Hey, you know. But also <laughs> thinking about that about the story about your teacher and this uh when you were younger, I mean this it's so important to have those 
moments when somebody pulls you aside, particularly I think in your formative years and, and kind of whispers in your ear to say, you know, you're onto something mm. uh, or, or, you know, you, you look like you're a, you have a nice future or whatever it is. So, or what even if it's even more, uh, more vague, just like uh, some sort of encouragement, um, taking a special interest in you because they're, because you yourself are, are giving off an energy. That's really, that's really crucial. It's, it's that very helped, powerful. Helped me a lot. Um, you know, speaking of Germany, I read somewhere, starting with a W Wikipedia, uh, that you hmm. spent some time in Germany at the Goethe Institute yeah. in Berlin. I, I in did. Yeah. 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 I mean, what a time to be there. And you were, um, you were 10, 12. I mean, you were just I a was baby. Not 10 or 12. <laughs> um, but I want to know about this. I mean, this was during right when the wall came down. It came down in 89. And reunification happened October 90, I think. Yeah, October 3rd. Yeah, so I was there in the summer of 90. So it was after uh, Nachtemauer, after the wall came down. And mm -hmm. then, um, and I have like 22 German words left in my brain. So that's all <laughs> I got. Uh, but I did study German language as a guest at the Goethe Institute and uh, mm. a recipient of... Um, uh, a grant from um, the West German government, and um, which is crazy. I mean, I just kind of like, I I don't know how I locked out on that, but I did. It's total boondoggle. Somebody decided to put some money into me and let me spend the summer in 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 Germany. But it's an extraordinary time. It was just like, yeah, uh, the wall had come down. I remember like specifically walking around Berlin city, and I had not yet visited. East Berlin, which still I think was called East Berlin at the time, and I just yeah. was walking through the Tiergarten, the, the main um, park that's there, and all of a sudden I found myself in a neighborhood that was like just darker and grungier, and and I realized, oh my, my God, I just stepped back in time. This is, feels like yes. 1950s, and it was obviously I was in East Germany, yeah. East Berlin, and there's still shrapnel marks in the building that had never been repaired, you know. And whereas West Berlin was, was, you know, lively and full of lights and, and, and energy East Berlin at that time, like there was maybe two neon lights on the entire main Unter den Linden, like the main street, there's like nothing there. It was like, it was so, um, grim. It was so grim and the people looked grim. Uh, and it was an amazing contrast. And, and, and somehow there was like a great lesson there about just, uh, how, um, how that part of the German population paid the paid the price for the entire country because they're the ones that had a terrible lifestyle. Um, mm -hmm. That was my impression at the time, nineteen ninety. It was something yeah, special. Crazy, crazy time. Um, I'm flying to Germany on uh, in two days, so ah. uh, to see family and and um, see some friends and and uh, actually playing a little gig in Hamburg on I think it's going to be December 29th, A little speakeasy gig. Nice. So uh, it's going to be great to 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 be um, back in Hamburg for a couple of weeks. Um, you know, we were talking before before we started um, recording. Yeah. About, uh, your wonderful Epiphone Casino guitar behind <laughs> you in your room, and uh, so of course when you say Hamburg, I think of the Beatles, and when I see the Epiphone Casino, I think of the Beatles, and having just watched um, that great Peter Jackson special um, on the Beatles. I still haven't seen that. Can you believe oh, that? It's, it's, I need to do it, don't I? You need to do it, and particularly yeah. because John Lennon's playing your guitar on the rooftop. <laughs> Famously, the casino is 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 um, 
Yes, I have a I have a map of the world and I have an Epiphone Casino and you know, a little little Grammy plaque, but you know, I'm sure you have one of those too. But you your studio over there is loaded with instruments. And I want to talk about your electric guitar and, and there's an what is that? An oud? No. What is that? That is an oud, yes. It's an oud. It's an oud. Well done. Thank you. Well, you're you're uh, you know you're a worldly guy, and I I, I try to learn a lot about. Inst- I love using instruments. I'm using a, a Cretan lira on my next on my new album that's coming out next year. Uh, a Greek um, uh, musician uh, sent us the the tracks. He he did the recording at, in his home studio, and it's a lira, which wow. is similar. It, it's it's actually quite different than than oud, but it's not. It's a string instrument. Can you talk about the oud a little bit? And you do you play it? And how did? Where's this one from that I'm looking at? Uh, well, it's a Turkish instrument. Um, it's borrowed from a friend of mine. Um, I bought it for a friend of mine and then borrowed it from him. Um, and uh, actually, the reason I have it is because the reason I have it is because I don't have a lute, and mm. I'm I'm making some music for a project that is um, set in the Middle Ages uh, in a 1350 Tuscany. And so I'm trying to like come up with a sound of music that's a combination of uh of Italian medieval music and much more modern, like contemporary sounding. Mm-hmm. So like a, a interesting hybrid. So so uh in lieu of the lute, I have the oud, mm-hmm. which is pretty much the same instrument except the oud um doesn't have frets. There's only major difference. Right, 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 right. Fascinating. And then I see several electric guitars behind. Yeah, I got you. a bunch. I got a bunch. You know, I just have. Um, I'm sitting here in my recording studio, and I just love having instruments around to grab. Um, a lot of us composers use the computer as our primary instrument. You know, we're doing all of our sound generating inside of the box, as they say. But I also just love being able to play things live because it just adds an extra element, and also because I can. Like I know how to play these instruments. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of my many of my colleagues in film scoring who are wonderful composers don't you know a lot of them don't play instruments oddly mm-hmm. um and they manage the they manage to form great careers regardless and make great music but but i do i spent you know i play guitars I, I play the flute like i mentioned earlier i got a bunch of great analog synthesizers in my studio um that's nice there's one behind me over is, here is that a mooc that is a um a Putney synth from 1968 oh my God. Um, is used in the early Pink Floyd recordings. Not that one, but it's from the same era. Um, so yeah, I just love, I just love, I love instruments like that. And I love buying stuff also instruments that I don't know how to play uh, because like just somehow trying to elicit some sound, you end up with something special, even if you'd never master it or even come close to mastering it. Like, for example, I would play, I have a, a couple of violins. I would play that on recordings. I do not play violin at all. But I know how to, like, just put the bow on a string and make a creaky sound that's that no real violinist could ever make because would, they, would, they would be too embarrassed to do that. And I somehow managed to use that as a special sound to, to um, music I'm creating. Do you, would you say that you own more than two dozen instruments? I mean, like, I see stuff hanging on the wall over there that looks like a... Like a is that a bass? Is that a, it's not a record yeah. worker, is it? That's a that's a Hoffner bass. Or back in the it's a Hoffner. That's the one that that Paul would have used. Yeah, um, Paul McCartney. There's a bunch of stuff. Yeah, there's a there's a Dobra, which is a bluegrass string instrument. There's um, 
a baritone electric guitar, a couple of acoustic guitars, a bunch of electric guitars over here. Yeah, um, I see that. It's very cool. Yeah, you know. Wow. I just have too many. You know, I'm, I'm at the same time. I'm going to. Uh, I'm not. I have a. I'm a Martin guy. You know, I have a couple of Martins, and um, but I've decided that on my trip to to Germany, I'm not going to take my Martin. I'm going to get to Hamburg and and uh, see if I can buy a guitar there for myself as a gift to myself for for the hard work i've put in this year and also for the hard work that i don't want to do traveling with an instrument on yeah. a plane which is sometimes very good and but most of the time rather stressful would that be a german made guitar or, or i'm going to just see what i find yeah. i'm just going to go and and see if i can find a, a used instrument that is in decent shape in good shape so that and leave it at my mom's house at my mom's apartment when i'm when i come through in the past i've uh you know i've I called martin up and martin guitars and uh and um they're they're in nazareth pennsylvania here in in the u.s and they're from there originally uh still not owned by anyone else which i like mm. they're just martin guitars and uh, i've been working with them forever and um so they have hooked me up in the past and i said i need a i need a a loner for these dates that i'm doing in in germany and they've hooked me up and most of the time i actually end up buying the loner you know which i did last time around because it's such a nice guitar and you get so used to it and uh, but i feel like i just i want to have another guitar over there because i have an, another set of dates i'm doing next year over there mm -hmm. so i'm just going to leave it there and i the stress of traveling with a guitar is it's not just the getting on the plane part you know like that is the moment I dread the most when you when you walk up to the to the gate and they say, um, what is that? Let me put a tag on that. <laughs> yeah. Let me put a, a little or you know, pink tag on that, which makes me think they're gonna take it away from me, you know, which they'll have to take pride from my dead hands if they ever do try. Um, but it's also getting to the airport and you know. It's just the it's it's a cumbersome instrument to travel with, and I've done it for years and years and years. So it is uh, it's something I'm trying to again, quality of life, mm. you know, reduce the stress, have more fun, darling, have more fun. All right, and just be yeah. grateful that you're not a harp player. I know, <laughs> or cellist, or upright bassist, upright bass tuba. Oh, so, yeah. you got to you got to get another ticket for those instruments. Yeah, buy two tickets. I tell you, I, uh, Jan, I have I have a Martin on my on my um, wish list. That's my mm. next purchase. I don't have any Martins at all, and I really would just love to get a standard, beautiful D twenty eight. Oh yeah, those are amazing. Thing. But I have to justify it, you know, and how I justify it. I normally do this whenever a new job comes in, like with the Ood over here. If a new job comes in, I try to find a way to make that. Um, seem like a justifiable re justifiable reason to buy something new you know just like of all these instruments i have i need one more to do this gig yeah. <laughs> there's always an excuse there always oh, should be an excuse to buy another instrument um all right so i gotta i gotta ask you about uh back to africa and it's cool that you've spent that this time in cape town and the fact that darby and the dead the the your new uh, uh film that you scored that that's on Hulu now, folks. Check it out, Darby and the Dead. I, I watched the uh, the uh, the preview or the the trailer, mm -hmm. and uh, it was engaging. I I thought like, oh, I'll, I I want to watch this, you know. And I I just haven't had the chance because our 
this this uh, this booking for for our uh, episode came up rather fast and yep. again thank you for accommodating us here um but it looked really cool and the i'm thinking that the music in the trailer is probably not you um but i don't know i'm sorry i wish i could respond to that yeah um, no it's okay it's okay i mean uh, folks check check it out it's it, it's an interesting story about a a, a, girl, a high school girl who can see dead people and um establishes establishes a relationship fictional obviously with a fellow student who gets killed and makes her popular so and this is a comedy kids. and it's a comedy <laughs> it's a comedy um so it, it has a it has a very uh, but so there there's a there's a rework this this was reworked from an from an original and this is the part that i i would love for you to to explain to us um it's an orchestral score that you turned into a hybrid hip hop and rock sound. Yeah, it was a, quite is... a process. But the, the, and I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, so the score, so the movie itself, uh, she sees a dead. It was people. shot in Cape Town, South Africa. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. and uh, she sees dead people, which has kind of like this um, reference to the Sixth Sense, which is the famous movie about people seeing dead people. But it's it's like a cross between that movie and Mean Girls. It's really more about like high school. Uh, uh relationships and and drama and comedy than anything else as far as ghost movies go it's the least scary ghost movie you'll ever see these these uh um our ghosts are not malicious beings they just are um hanging around waiting to to uh transition into the afterlife and that's Jar darby's like after school job is helping them do that um that's the premise and then her she has this frenemy named capri who um uh dies early on in the in the film also not scary when she dies um and then capri comes back and uh is a you know ghost and they sort of form um a a bond to carry out a, to carry out a conspiracy if you will to achieve some certain goals they both want to achieve that's that's the setup um there's really kind of more of an overarching um sense to the story even though it's about the supernatural about death and moving on i think really it's about growing up i think that 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 aspect of the story is really kind of a metaphor for just um shedding your childhood and moving on into adulthood which makes it really interesting because this kind of the movie is working on, on various different levels mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so this the reworking of the score what is that in reference to so when we started working on, I was hired by 20th Century Studios to write the score, and I was very excited. Uh, you know, 20th Century is a is major studio, and it's it's wonderful. 20th to have Century all... Fox now. What's, yeah, but now they don't Fox say Fox. Now, right? They just say what do they say now? Now, now they call 20th Century Studios. I think. Okay, I think, right, you know, right. Yeah, we we promised each other before the the show not to talk politics, but I think that's the reason. No, we can. <laughs> we can talk about whatever you want, man. <laughs> anyway, so it's 20th century, and I know, and I know, I know that studio really well. And when you work on a uh, with those kind of people, you, there's a lot of firepower involved. You get like the, all the different departments to to help you out. And uh, anyway, so early on, the the concept for this score for the for Darby and the Dead was to be a grand orchestral score, colorful, um, full of magic um, and fun. You, you know, not a million miles away from, say, Harry Potter, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wrote that score. I wrote almost all that score like that. And I did exactly what 
was needed to be done and exactly what I was told. And we all got together, all of us, meaning the filmmakers in the studio, and looked at it and said, you know what? It doesn't quite feel right. It feels, this music feels, this concept of music feels too grand hmm. for this essentially high school story. I think that might be the crossroads. I mean, I was I was scoring a, a ghost story and it really is a high school story. So um so we decided let's 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 stop this ocean liner in the middle of the ocean and, and try to change directions. And it was as hard as that. Because like yeah, there's like 40 minutes of music that I've already written. Um mm -hmm. and now I have to figure out like well, what do I do now? So I so over the course of uh, several grueling weeks, I repurposed the music I'd already written, sort of rearranged it if you will, for a totally different hybrid ensemble of sounds, including hip hop beats, um, guitars and other acoustic instruments I have in my studio and just weird sound effects that I created um, and reimagined the score. And much of the score, many of the pieces of music that exist in the movie now originated as very lush, elaborate orchestral pieces. And in, and in the movie, is it uh, when it was all just said and done, those pieces of music still exist, but they've been completely stripped down and reorchestrated um, and reimagined. And it was quite a process, but but worthwhile. It was the right choice. And it made for, at the end of it all, it made for a very unusual, fresh sounding score that, is, that I think is um, kind of stands on its own. I don't know. It's kind of is, I think, not like anything else that I know of. And... I mean that sounds very sounds like a lot of work. Did you do this on your own? <laughs> <laughs> Did it on? Okay. Uh sure. No, no, yes. Yes or no. Um a movie of this of this variety with this much music, uh I have I have team members who who work with me. I mean we talked earlier about um mentors and people who have helped me and I, you know, I like to keep people around me, younger composers who um who I trust. Um to help me out on my projects. Um, and also I must say, uh, for those of you who are in, just listening to this, thinking about like, how do I, how do I myself get into a creative world? When I bring people on board to help me on my project or help me in my business, I really looking for people who are um, talented and motivated and clearly are gonna go somewhere with whatever they learn from me. The last thing I wanna do is to train a new, um, worker who then is not going to do anything with the time I spend mm, with them. Mm, mm. It's just a waste for me and for them. So I've got a, a really good crew of people who I bring on from various projects to do specific things. And, um, and yeah, for this project, it was um, all hands on deck. Because uh, there would be a situation, for example, where a certain piece of music, orchestral music is written, and I would, and I, I have to present it to the studio. So I'd hand it off to one of my people there. I have three people working for me. Um, Amit Cohen, Alex Redford, and you know Dieter Hartman. I'll let them have their moment. Um, and I'd hand one of these pieces off to to Alex and say, you know, okay, strip it down, um, reassign some instruments, send it back to me, and let's see what we got. Um, and that was great. It helped, it helped me meet my deadlines, but also anytime you bring somebody somebody else's creative input into something, you get something fresh. So decisions decisions are made by my team members that might not have been my decisions, uh, but that's okay. They're still great decisions, um, artistic decisions. And and you end up with things that are just like um, unusual and fun. You know, it's like being in a band where each player 
does their own part. One person might be the songwriter, but that bass line or that guitar solo or that drum beat is just, you know, bringing it to a whole new level. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's fascinating. I mean, <clears throat> it's the same thing in a band setting. You know, you, um, you kind of rely on the talent that you've surrounded yourself with. And it's still your job to say yes and no, but at the same time, having that kind of uh, talent or crowd, you know, around you, uh, super important, you know. Um, and it's it's the same for me. Like I just, I just, this was crazy. Like mean, this kind of ties into a little bit of what you're what you're talking about. I I went out the other night and I saw a friend of mine, Rachel Sage, who's a She's a New York-based uh, singer, songwriter. She also runs a label called Empress Records, and she's released music by a lot of talented artists. She invited me to to her show uh, here at the City Winery in, in New York City, and uh, which just moved over to the Hudson by by, by the river. I played at the old one a while ago, um, but this is the the new one. And she had a uh, she was on a bill with a a, a singer songwriter named Leah Alonso. Who I had, um, who I'm, I invited both of them to come on on making sound because just they're just really cool people and they have, it's a it, it's again it's like a it, there's an umbrella you know they they have a network of of talent and talented people that they tie into, and Leah had this um, I ended up going on stage at the end of the night and singing and it was just really fun, but uh, she had just a really solid band around her. And so did Rachel, you know, and I, I connected with a good friend of mine, Trina Hamlin, who's a percussionist and I hadn't seen her in years and nobody's seen each other, you know, for the last two mm-hmm. or three, you know, so like right. the, the, just, no one's just seen anybody. being in that <laughs> environment, you know, with seeing people and hugging people and it was just felt so good. It just felt so good. And, uh, and just seeing a live band with people playing instruments and not co- anything coming off fucking tracks, you know, I'm just like, I just, uh, you know, respect to people that know how to do that and do it well and there are you know but uh i i just i want to hear people playing instruments you know i just i want to hear when i'm in a club i want to watch somebody hit the drum you know and i don't want it to i want to see that i want to i want to have the visual experience of the of the music as well and uh, she just had a really good band and it was it was just great and you could tell that the this the live music environment you know and i i want to switch to talking about your involvement with with um, scoring for for rock bands um you can see that the creativity is happening as we as we're playing you know the the arrangement of the song is there and you know I'll, when i do a, a tour or i'm planning a tour now in south africa and germany and we have shows in the us and you know the the people that are going to play that those dates will will get the recording and I'm and they're going to ask me would you like me to play it like that and what's and here's the chart and and I'm going to say yeah I want you to play it like that I don't want you to come up with a new baseline you're not going to need to this this yeah. the line has it's a great baseline that's on the record but you don't have to play every note like that you know I want to hear you you know if it's not the musician that actually played um on the recording i also want to hear what the, what this person is going to bring to it and why wouldn't i i mean and, and why would you play a gig where you're just playing you know think 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 and just like it is i mean you your personality is going to be in the live performance that's great you know that is why people see live performances that's why they want that kind of environment you know i think i mean i do i want to I want to see and hear. I want to hear and see. 
So uh, it, it, do you feel similarly about music and how do you think it's changed? Because there's so much, so much that's, that's uh, uh, pre-programmed and there, there's so much coming off of tracks now. And I mean, even like, really it's changed. It's been changing for years. I mean, 20 years ago it started, you know, with when I was doing Broadway, there were something uh, we, we had a, when I was touring with Jekyll and Hyde as a singer actor, some of the tracks from the orchestra uh, we're coming from a recording and some of them right. were live. Right. Well, it's interesting. Uh, there's two things I want to hit on this because these are really interesting thoughts. One of you, your example about the bass line that your player is going to play. Um, it, it really um, cuts to the heart of artistic collaboration because you bring somebody new, your bass player, um, into into the mix and you want them, of course, to uh, to do something fresh not so fresh that you are you can't recognize your music, although maybe you do want that. But it requires this. It requires a generosity of spirit when it comes to your creative decisions. You have to be able to step back and say, I've got a good idea. You've got a good idea. One is not necessarily better than the other, but let's let's take yours. I'm gonna I'm gonna sing in a seed. I'm gonna I'm gonna step back from my um position of the director and just say, you know, let's go with yours. And this is this is the case when I'm working with my crew and writing music together for, for, um, for scenes, I'm like, you know, uh, I don't necessarily think my idea is better than somebody else's or worse, but you know, you just choose one and you, and you move forward. And that, that's the fun part. Um, you know, all, it's not about what is best. It's just like getting the best out of the fact that you are dealing with other, other brains. So it's, it's an important thing to remember when you're collaborating. Now, I, as far as seeing live shows, yeah, I've also, like, I think most of us and many of us, like, I'm just so glad to see bands now. Boy, mm-hmm. I haven't seen so many more bands in the last 18 months than I have in a long time. Um, And two shows come to mind. I saw, I saw Pearl Jam last year. Uh, Not my favorite band, but they were great and tickets were free. Uh, they were actually awesome. And, uh, and you really got a sense that the, that the song performance you are hearing right then and there was unique like they, they don't have pre-recorded parts to my knowledge and and they played it's a band they play the hell out of their music and they just like seem to be a lot of improvisation and a lot of like spontaneity uh and it's just wonderful to see real musicians play you know and like you say the the drummer hits the snare drum with his stick and you know that's what you're hearing you're not hearing yeah. some pre-programmed thing yeah that was a great show but also a great show, I think, in many ways, maybe the, one of the highlights for me last year was seeing the band Kraftwerk. Mm. Um, and there's and the music just was, their show is amazing. And I think there's nothing about their music which is not pre-programmed. Mm-hmm. In, in some ways, that's their shtick, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the, yep. they're, they're, they're the um, man machine. How, how do you say it off Deutsch? Mention machine man so i don't mean to diss you know programmed music you know with kraftwerk it would play a very specific role you know i'm not talking about that it's but you know it, for me it's important to anyway you know what i'm saying you know what i'm yeah. saying I just, but I just, uh, I'm just pointing out that both performances were thrilling. Mm-hmm. They really were thrilling. Um, and regardless of the level of uh, pre-programmed activity from Kraftwerk, I mean, they could very well have been playing the notes I'm hearing as they put their fingers on their keyboards. They could have been playing nothing, 
and there's no way for me to know. Yeah. But the music still was thrilling, and the visuals were thrilling, and this, and there had so many great songs which I just found were were moving to me. Mm-hmm. It was nice. It was just nice being in the same. It was like being in the in the room with Paul Simon. You know, it's like there you are with someone who, like someone who's a legend, and you know, it's pretty great to be there. And that being said, you know, like Paul Simon's album, um, Surprise, I'm trying to remember the year that it came out, but he worked, I think, with uh, with Brian Eno, I think, on it, with producer Brian Eno, and there were a lot of programmed parts on it. And I've done that, too. And we have, we've, we're using that on, on my new album, too, you know, so some of it I probably will have to, because some of the effects that we're using, uh, I know I'm... I might not be able to create that in in a live setting other than if I am involving a computer. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's that's fine. But I want to use the computer as an instrument rather than something where I'm leaning back going, I don't have to do that anymore. You know, like that's the difference yeah. to me. I don't want the work to be done for me. I want to use it as an instrument, so to speak. That so, becomes a conundrum because like the computer... Um, can make choices for you in a way and lead you places um and sometimes that's uh that's very nice you know to be able to use that as a as a as a partner your computer but you don't want it to necessarily command you yeah um it's tricky i i just had a a, something just popped into my mind and Mm. you're the perfect guy to ask this are you afraid of ai when it comes to music composition, because there's so much talk about this now with, you know, computers creating melodies and, and so forth and tracks. And does that, does that, how does that make you feel? (laughs) That's a good question. Am I afraid of AI Mm -hmm. composing music? My answer is not yet. I feel personally as an artist that I have enough, um, surprises in me that I do not think AI is capable yet of, of emulating, I don't know, my bad choices that become good choices, uh, <laughs> my bad days that end up making something uh, unusual. Um, so I'm not concerned yet. And I feel like I have enough um, depth to my musical abilities that, that I, I can, I can, I can run faster than AI now. Who knows in 10 years from now? I don't know. Um, I don't know, you know, we've been, I just read recently this week about how college, uh, how the college essay world is being up, upturned because the AI can write essays better than students can and teachers can't tell the difference. So then what's the point of writing an essay? Um, though, again, in my case, I feel like I'm a good enough writer of prose that I feel like I could do, I can outsmart AI at this point in time by simply writing the right wrong words you know so maybe the i'm sure the technology will catch up to all those you know more obtuse human decisions but for right now i'm not concerned are you right the right wrong words thanks for asking back i you know yeah i am sometimes i am i am scared it scares Mm -hmm. me that that i that we would get to a point where i don't know the difference and that's already happening when it comes to certain instrument sounds that are digitally created. And yeah. they've they be like drum sounds. They've become so good. You can't tell the difference. That, is that true. scares me. When I, you know, when someone asks me, who played drums on that track? And I'm like, um, I can't tell you. 
<laughs> I don't know. Um, that that does well, scare me. Uh, yeah, it does. I will tell you this. A, a few minutes ago, I talked about playing violin in my studio, which I do not play. And I, I, I play it so poorly that I would have no business holding a violin on a stage in front of people. It would just be bad for me and bad for the audience. But um, since I have really interesting equipment in my studio and good recording equipment and, and, and good digital processing equipment and good ideas, I'm able to take that bad performance and, and mold it into something that's interesting. That only is possible because I'm aided by technology. Um, so in this case, I'm, it's not AI we're talking about, we're talking about advanced digital technology. And, and in that case, I'm using it <laughs> to make my bad words into good words. You know, I'm using it to like take, take stuff that otherwise would be unpalatable and make it into something that's interesting. So maybe that's, that's where I am now on, on, the, on the AI issue. And look, the other side of that coin is, is that, you know, you can create a record in the box. Meaning, mm -hmm. you know, when we say in the box, it means you're sitting in front of a computer and mixing one in the box, you know. And um, so it it does also give you tons of, of new options, you know, that you didn't have before. So it it's a mixed, uh, you know, it's a double-edged sword, as they say. I wanted to ask you about uh, two, two, two things. Well, let me start with um, your... Did you spend time in in Tanzania when you worked when you were studying Swahili? I did, and I did. Yeah, again, I was a, a, in graduate Tanzania school. Tanzania is you know the country directly to the west of Kenya, where I also spent some time as a child. Yeah, uh, underneath Kenya, so it's to the south. Oh yes, south. Specifically, I was in um, Dar es Salaam on the mainland, but most of my time I spent on the island of Zanzibar, off the coast of Tanzania. That is, and studying Swahili, the language and the and uh, Swahili and Swahili music, um, and Zanzibar Island is the um, kind of the cultural center for the purest form of Swahili, the language. So there's an institute there which I studied. It. Um, yeah, it was again, it's like one of these kind of things that just like fell on my lap as a as a young person. I I said, well, of course I'll go to. Zanzibar and study Swahili. Who wouldn't? Uh, does it have any impact on my music in my life today? Not that I can identify, but that's okay. You know, it's just something I did for a while that was just really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we uh, we were so we were very young, and um, but you know, my my parents were very active, and they climbed Kilimanjaro, you know, with us yeah. on their on their backs. <laughs> wow! And we saw so much, uh, so much of of eastern africa you know at 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 uh at that time but uh yeah so so your work with air now i don't know i i've known i've heard that name so many times um and it it is they're they're french it's a french band correct yes yes mm -hmm. can you can you talk a little bit about how you got involved with cuz i love your connection with with rock music and mm -hmm. you know that this mix of and I think it's because you're a guitar player. I think you, like you gravitate yeah. towards that style. Um, can you talk a little bit about your your work with them and um, and what you're doing with them going forward? Like, what's what's the what's yeah, the current first, status there? So I I, were, I first became acquainted with them and they with me uh, after I was already working professionally as a film and TV composer. I was doing pretty well. Uh, 
in the TV world, but I was really feeling personally like I wanted to do something else that outside of that box. Um, also something just to sort of distinguish myself from just being from just being a film composer. Um, and I, the weird thing is, is I'm going to tell the, the shortest version of the story as I can, but uh, I, I discovered the music simply by like walking into a tower records one day and buying a CD that looked cool. And uh, as one used to do back in the day, yeah. and I found their, their album moon safari which is probably their most famous and i was just amazed by it it's just this beautiful evocative um electronic music that was like a combination of of um like wonderful burt backrack melodies with crazy electronica done so fresh and so so exquisitely put together and i was in awe of this band which i knew nothing about this this band from france i knew they were from versailles and uh a few months after that encounter with their music, I was asked by a friend of mine to join him at a recording studio in, in Burbank, a very dumpy part of Los Angeles, to help out with this group that he was helping to produce. And I walk into this into Burbank, and there's Air from France in um, some really you know, nasty-ass part of Burbank. And they're making a record. And I uh, I was invited down to the studio to just to, to notate some things uh for them and somehow we hit it off and ended up like notating and then working on this album with them as the orchestral arranger ranger for like nine months hmm. um and it was a wonderful wonderful creative like i don't know it's kind of like it's like when you meet somebody and you kind of get each other you know yeah it was that so um so i was just so i felt so thrilled and so honored to be accepted by them and um and we did that album, which was called 10,000 Hertz Legend. And uh, I performed with them as a conductor of orchestras at the Hollywood Bowl at the slot, at, in Paris elsewhere and, and some other projects with them. And uh, and they became my friends and I and to this day. And interestingly about that, um, so Air is from Versailles. I was living in Silver Lake, which is, you know, kind of a trendy part of, uh, of L.A., uh, particularly back then. And there was this weird like sister city thing between these a bunch of bands in the Versailles area who are connected to air and a bunch of musicians and movie makers in Silver Lake. So on the Versailles part, we had air, um, Phoenix, um, Daft Punk, mm. uh, a few other bands, one called Mellow. And they're all friends, you know, like, uh, you know, from, from together. And then in, in Silver Lake, we had... Um, Jellyfish, the band, we had Roman Coppola, Sofia Coppola, Mike Mills, film director, Spike Jones, who was married to Sofia at the time, and a bunch of other musicians. And we all, there was like this wonderful cross filtering. Roman was uh, directing um, videos for Daft Punk. Mike was directing videos for Air. And we all just kind of like were working together in this in this wonderful way. So it was just like kind of like one of these moments in time, like, I don't know, uh paris in the 20s where you just like got a bunch of people together who were kind of finding their voice and we were, we were sort of all teaching each other phoenix i love that band man mm, and i mean yeah. daft punk like I, to me um random access memories is still one of the best pop albums of the last 10 years maybe the best i mean there are a lot a lot of good ones um uh, so what what time period was this 90s so um I think the album I worked out worked with them might have come out like around 99. And then I performed with them at the Hollywood 
the Bull 2004, I think, mm -hmm. and in Paris about five years later. Um, so yeah, that's the time period. And we worked on the same movies together. Like we all, like Er and I worked on um, uh, Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette. Uh, also worked with them and some other great musicians on um, the film uh, Lost in Translation, Sofia's film. Yeah. Um, a, she's a great filmmaker, that one. Yeah. Yeah. So her uncle is, I think, is it Anton Coppola? Was? Her, I think yes. he's, he's passed. I, I, I remember him. Grandfather, I think. Was it? Mm. I'm not yeah. confused. There's so many damn Coppolas in this world. So there is. Yeah. Obviously, the most, you know, Francis Ford Coppola is the most famous as a director, but Anton Coppola was a conductor. You're right. You're right. Well, there's also and Carmen I, Coppola, which Carmen was the father of Francis, who is also a, a, a composer. So um, it's cool. Quite a family. Uh, Anton Coppola, I met him when he conducted, when I sang, when I was in, in college in school in Cleveland, it's twenty over 20 years ago now, um, I was singing with the Cleveland Orchestra, uh, a Cleveland Opera Chorus. And I did several productions with them because David Gooding uh, was the, uh, conducted the chorus. So he, you know, if you studied voice with him, there was a chance that you would get, you know, into the chorus and you would be performing at the state which we did. And Anton Kopolov was the conductor on, I, I don't, I think it was Romeo and Juliet. I think I'm trying to remember, but yeah, I mean, he was a, just the nicest man. I mean, he was just very charming. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a, what a great, um, what a great sort of world to like fall into and, and come out of, you know, the, so the, the connection with, with, do you think it's something about France, you know, because I, I always go back to, uh, Mel Brooks, you know, famous statement, everything in life is location, location, <laughs> location. And I've, I've been talking to to a lot of my musicians friends about this. And, uh, you know, that like a certain like Woodstock, like I have this new, well, it's been budding, you know, a budding friendship relationship with friends in uh, of the Woodstock Film Festival, which right. is yeah, great very, festival, by the way, great festival. Yeah. But it's location-based, you know, like people are attracted to this part of the world, upstate New York, Woodstock, you know, uh, the history of Woodstock and this film festival, which is relatively new. It's only been around for about 20 years. And one of the uh, the board members of, of the festival took a liking to my music and, you know, had a connection to some of the work that I've done, specifically uh, um, the, the my connection with Buckley, Jeff Buckley, Tim Buckley. And ah. the, the the movie about about Jeff and Tim, which I sing in, and uh, you know, so you know, it, it, it's funny how these things work out and how connections. Well, you've had an amazing career, haven't you? I mean, all the stuff you've done is so uh, impressive. Thank you. Yeah. Well, ditto. You know, you too. You too. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's again. You know, it's twenty years of work. I always say, yeah, it took me twenty years to have a hit, and it's okay. So what? Mm -hmm. You know. So like. It goes back to what you were talking about earlier about bringing, developing talent, you know, and 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 sticking with it and not having a plan B. You know, you can always yeah. have a plan B. Look, you always get a job. You know, you, you're not gonna you're not gonna starve. You know, you're gonna be able to do something. You know, you're you're uh, uh, resourceful, resourceful, as they say. And uh, so, yeah, no, it's it's location, location, location. So, getting back to you in France, what what was what was your experience like working with people that had this this strong connection to to France? 
on speaking of <laughs> World Cup too, folks. Yeah, they're nothing. in the finals. That's sorry, amazing. sorry if you already if you didn't know that already, but it's been a couple of days. <laughs> going to be a hell of a game. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like I think what you say about Woodstock. Uh, you get to a certain place in a location, and it feels like stuff should get done there, or the stuff is like it's like it feels stimulating. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, because I mentioned earlier when I'd seen uh, meeting the band air at in Burbank, that's not a that's not Woodstock. I mean, Burbank is a place where it doesn't feel particularly um, like creative geniuses come from there. But anyway, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it's um, obviously all those bands that we mentioned earlier, Air, Daft Punk, um, Phoenix, um, came, they themselves came from a time and place where stuff was happening that was that was exciting for them. And uh, they, I'm sure that I'm sure they did not realize it at the time that they were making like a, a, a fresh new community of, of exciting um, artists, but they did. Yeah. I don't. I don't. You know. I. I can't. I can't speak of that. Uh, like how the location um, was important, but I wonder. I wonder now if that's so much the case because now location, in a way, geographical location has become far less crucial because now we're in an international world. You know, you and I are in different parts of. Uh, we're a couple thousand miles away from each other. Um, Many of my collaborators, by the way, I mentioned my team earlier on Darby and the Dead, Amit, Alex, and Dieter. Amit lives a few blocks from me. Alex, my assistant, lives in England. Dieter was in Vienna and somewhere in Fresno. So, um, like, we're all, all different locations, and it, it seems in some ways less crucial than in the past. I'm not sure. Don't know. I, I you know, but then, you know, with Darby and the Dead, you know, the, the movie gets shot even though it's set, it's set in in California. One would assume, or in in California, it has but it, that get, but it gets shot in Cape Town, South Africa. For mm-hmm. yeah, so you know, it's that energy, I guess, that look, that the feel that you get when you when you see it. There's yeah. something about it, you know. I mean, I mean, Cape Town is unlike any any other place in the world. It's unbelievable, and you know that because you've been there. And if you haven't been there, folks, go. Oh yeah. If you get a chance to go and see. Table Mountain, yeah, you look at the world differently after that. It is one of the great world cities, that is for sure. Mm-hmm. Cape Town, beautiful, beautiful place. But you know, it's interesting because because you see that movie shot there, and it and it has an otherworldly quality to it. It's also similar when you see American themed movies that are shot in Canada or shot in Romania that is supposed to fit, you know, fill in for georgia or someplace like that and think like well this is feels like a like a kind of like georgia even though we're in romania but it's a georgia <laughs> i've never seen before so it, it makes it in some ways it kind of releases it to like we're we're in it we're in a fantasy georgia you know those trees are not georgian trees but those accents are georgian accents i don't know where i am mm-hmm. and i think as a if you're a film goer looking at, at watching one of those productions it it, it gives you sort of a a weird clean slate because you, because there's less expectations that uh, there's less things that you know you're kind of unhinged because you're like seeing a geography that's unfamiliar to you yeah well i i got to say i could i could talk to you for hours um, but i know you're 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 a very busy man <laughs> and um i'm i'm going to let you going to have to let you go and we're going to have to wrap it up but i i want to just um i want to ask you what you are I want to ask you what you're doing for the holidays and if you 
are, if you take breaks, do you know, you know, you're, you're a busy guy. You always work. I'm, I'm the same sort of workaholic type, but, um, but it's important to take breaks, you know, and I've been, I think about this a lot because as I've had more success, I feel better about taking breaks, you know, whereas before I was like, if I don't get to this by this time, by this, you know, age, or, you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself to, to get, to get to a place. Uh, are you, uh, you know, getting better at taking breaks and taking time for yourself and to do things, or do you still combine, you know, travel with work? I mean, it's great when you can work and travel doing what you love. Okay. First of all, you know, we're, we're lucky we do what we love, but, but how do you, how do you feel about that? That whole, well, I'm glad you're buying your guitar in Germany. I mean, the second, the moment I go on, on holiday somewhere, I'm missing the music, you know, the moment, which I guess is good because I come back refreshed. Um, me, my, for me, my wife and I are going to Utah for a holiday week. We're going to sort of like a, a hiking yoga place just to get fresh air. And that's going to be, that's going to be wonderful. So that, that's our holiday. Um, I'm rushing now to get a bunch of work done. It always feels that's always the way, like I'm trying to get stuff done before, you know, everything shuts down. I'm working on a, on a podcast series called Murder by Grace. It's a scripted series. So we're trying to get that done. And when I get back um, from the holiday, I'm starting to, I'm going to write music for a big Super Bowl ad campaign, which I can't talk about except to say that. And that's going to be super fun. So it's going to be like the, when I get back in January, it's going to be a, um, a mad dash to get this, uh, commercial campaign scored um that's my next project mm. that's that's very exciting and um and darby and the dead is on hulu so people can check that out plus everything else that you've done i mean it's tons of music lots i mean i'm just lots of music thank you i'm just always thrilled when someone reaches out asking me to do something you know me like too. i when it doesn't happen, I feel like, okay, my career is over. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like when the phone, like when it's like ringing a lot and you're like, oh God, can you, can I just get a break? And then you think, wait a second, as long as it's ringing, we're good. You know, we're good. Exactly. Yeah, that. Exactly yeah. that. I, I, I feel you. Wonderful. Well, uh, folks, please check out, uh, well, just Google this man, Roger Neal with two L's and mm. E-I-L-L and easy to find. And um, just uh, just a a big world that you can you can check out when you if you like any kind of music, uh, and you know the fact that you cross over from style to style to style so easily and so often is impressive, you know. Thank and you. your international, especially the Africa connection, like that was, I thought like oh I got to talk to this guy. This is going to be an interesting conversation. Um, so, folks, uh, please have a wonderful, wonderful uh, holiday out there and uh, Christmas and New Year's and whatever you're celebrating. Hanukkah, celebrate, 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 um, celebrate being with people you love and uh, be safe on your travels and all that good stuff. Come to my Hamburg Speakeasy. Check out my socials for that. I think December 29th in the, uh, in, in the center of Hamburg. That will be the case. And I'm trying to remember what else I need to announce. Do I need to announce anything else? Do I have anything else to announce? This is our last show. I already said that of the season of season five. And uh, thank you for, for being a part of the show. 
And we will commence next year in February of 2023 with season six. And I'm booking some guests for that. So if you have any ideas for guests, write to us, write to me, makingsoundpodcast.com. Get involved with the show there too if you want to become a producer. And if you want to support the show, you can do that and listen to all the other episodes. And you can listen to, uh, you can check out the bios from people like Roger Neal and go to his website and uh, check out what he's done, what he's coming up with. Are you on socials, Roger? Do you do the social media thing? Not as much as I should, but I have a bunch of stuff. Yeah, you can find me on on Insta and on, on Facebook. That's where I'm being. Great. People can follow you there if they want to. Yep. And uh, yeah, man, it was a pleasure speaking with Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure talking with you. It was super fun. And uh, I wish you and all of your listeners a great holiday and, and, and wonderful new year. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Roger. And we will see you soon, folks. All the best.